Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast, the number one gaming podcast in the Nordic region. We're bringing together the best technical leaders from across the gaming industry to discuss passions, challenges, and ideas. I'm Aaron, and I connect businesses with talented freelancers within the Unreal Engine community. Today, I'm joined by Anders, Christopher, and Cosmin. And yeah, we're going to delve into the topic of the future of AI and games. And before we get kickstarted off on that, let's work our way around the room uh, with some intros. Um, so Anders, do you want to kick us off with who you are, what you do, and how long have you been in the industry? Yeah, hi, I'm Anders Holmquist. I am the CTO and one of the co-founders of SharkMob, which is a game studio with offices in Malmö, Sweden and London, UK. Uh, I've been in the games industry for uh, soon 20 years. I started out at uh, Massive Entertainment when it was publishing through Vivendi and Sierra Online. Then we moved on to Activision and then we moved on to Ubisoft, which it still is to this day. Uh, and I used I started out as a gameplay programmer and then I moved on to being the technical director for the Snowdrop engine within Ubisoft and the Pumpclads is the division. And Here's a mini advice from me. Don't be TD for both a game engine and a game at the same time. It's absolutely horrible. Um, thank you very much for that one, Anders, for the introduction. And anybody listening who's thinking of doing that, take that note, because Anders is a true vet in the game as well. So, um, But yeah, moving on to uh, Christopher, uh, if you could just do the same and just uh, kick us off with your intro, please. Absolutely. Hi, I'm uh, Christopher. I'm the CTO and co-founder of Past Travel Games, uh, a VR uh, exclusive game studio in Stockholm, Sweden. Uh, I've been in the industry slightly shorter than Anders. I think I'm on my 18th year uh, now. I spent a little bit over a decade at the EA Dice uh, and the the Prosper team doing everything from uh, gameplay programming to being. Uh, development for the Frostbite Engine team. Uh, and when VR came along in 2016, uh, it was just too good not to be uh, jumping on that chain and, and uh, help form a new industry. Uh, we'll, uh, be a really fantastic place to be with lots of interesting challenges, uh, design and uh, gameplay-wise, uh, not to say the least. Has the nice topic of AI thing. Uh, Amazing. Thank you very much. And have you got any advice as well, just like uh, Anders gave before the listeners? Uh, no, no such good good advice. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if you love games and you want to work with games, uh, you definitely should. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's amazing. Challenging on all on all uh, aspects. Amazing, amazing. My only advice is uh, always w- take a brolly with you uh, on a cloudy day, just in case it rains. That's what my nan used to say. Um, anyway, um, sorry for being silly. Cosmin, if you could give us your introduction, please. Yes, thank you, Aaron. Um, so, yeah, my name is Cosmin. I've been in the industry mostly focused on multiplayer games, um, very large scale, like uh, World of Warcraft, for example, and then moved across to fast-paced shooters and mobile titles. Mostly, again, um, shipping multiplayer games on PC and consoles. Um, currently, I'm the CTO of Dreamit Games, and I've been with these folks for the past uh, three years and a bit now, and we've been developing this open-world multiplayer game called Towers of Agasba, also coming on PC and consoles next year. And... 
also recently had the opportunity to lead some of the efforts at Unity Technologies and led some teams there on netcode, again, netcode architecture, the netcode frameworks from low level to high level. And yeah, but in the past few years, I've tried to focus more on building gaming startups and focus more on the production, leadership, and yeah, AI now, apparently. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> as for advice, I, I would say that, you know, if you do want to come in the gaming industry, you have to find your craziness or be a bit crazy to get into this industry. I don't recommend it otherwise because it's going to be a long. <laughs> Uh, Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Wrong for you. So yeah. Love it. No, thank you very much. Thank you, everyone, for the introductions. They were amazing. Um, right, I think we will just get started into the into the topic then uh, in focus. So uh, everyone has got a, a question which they've prepared or a, a subtopic on, um, you know, the future of AI in games. So um, as usual, what I'll do is I'll just pick on someone to kick us off onto the topic uh, and then we'll go from there. So uh christopher if you want to get us started on the topic with your question and then just a little bit of context behind it as well please absolutely uh, i'd love to so uh, my uh, my thought is that uh, throughout the years that i've been in the industry uh we have pretty large uh, kind of built games uh in the same manner we cannot be uh, using the same type of tools we're uh, approaching game development uh, quite the same way, even though if you're you not know, a big AAA studio or uh, a small indie studio, it's it's still uh, you know artist uh, is is doing meshes, you have level design, so playing and making play, you have uh, game designers uh, kind of uh, building the game logic, code uh, is doing uh, all kinds of things, etc., etc. Uh, and there's been a lot of different. Uh, things along the way, uh, lots of talk about the procedure generation, etc. But now with uh, the kind of boom, I guess you can say, or or at least the hype that comes with AI, uh, with AI and the explosive development and improvements of AI uh, of the last uh, year and years, uh, really. Uh, my question to the panel is. Do you see, or what do you see, would would be uh, kind of something that would uh, disrupt uh, and, and really change the way uh, how we make games? Uh, is is AI part of that, or is it something else? Like, what what would really disrupt the way we we uh, create games? Do you? Well, I think the. What's really, really interesting is if we can get to a point where it is producing repeatable, stable content uh, that is actually 
usable in in the products that we're sending out because right now i think ai is making very quick inroads in the early phases like in conception it's a very very quick and easy method to produce concept art or filler dialogue or text but it, it's a pretty far cry from the quality and uh, yeah the the use that you would need to be able to actually use it in production so i think everybody's a bit over optimistic right now because the this first step went very very quickly but i think we're kind of hitting a plateau uh, right about where we are now and the question is when we are going to move on from that one i think okay so then but then you don't see right now at least you don't see uh, ai coming into play and kind of completely change uh you know the workflow for for uh, your game developers uh every day so on that note, I would add that um, to what Anders said, sure, right now it feels to me that you are going to battle with the unpredictableness of like AI and what it generates. That's what most of the game developers are going to battle with. But where we found most of the advancements to help us though are in very focused areas, for example, generating textures for UI. Let's put it this way. It's very simple. AI has been having like huge amounts of like data sets to work with due to well, all the images from the internet and to generate better UI textures in the style that we want. But it, it can only get us so far. So for example, like a UI artist, it would get some of the textures that majority generates, which is 70% to the quality that we need or even the style that we need. Then you can put it into something like Photoshop. You can like apply stencils and uh, like, Photoshop specific filters to it and then make it work be production ready for us. So that's the type of like workflows that we've seen, you know, being changed right now. Now we also have to define exactly the the game and the fidelity of the game that you want to work on because yes, there have already been advancements in terms of like mobile and hyper casual. You will see like uh, tools like Leonardo AI and all of those like Ludo AI making advancements in like very small, fast like hyper-casual games, that's fine. But when it comes to large-scale productions, for example, we've been working on this game for like four years and we're not even done yet. So when we have large teams, well, that's going to be quite hard to make a huge impact just right now. And then that's for artists. There are more things uh, coming in also from like um, modeling and like creating specific materials or getting, let's say, photorealistic materials out and creating PBR materials. From photos, we can also use AI for that. Um, that's pretty much what I would say on the technical art side. Then we have the engineering where we use things like GitHub, Copilot, but that's going to be another talk there for sure because it, it has to be for specific use cases. I think what is really interesting is maybe not the, the sexy AI that everybody's talking about, like ChatGPT and Midjourney and those things. Mm -hmm. it's, it's actually that they are pushing behind the scenes, they are pushing machine learning forward. And with that machine learning, you can do a lot of very interesting things, just like you, you talk about. For example, you can train train it to, to generate just the kind of art that you need. And, and you don't suffer from some of the problems that the more public generators have. And I, I also think it's going to push maybe even things we don't really think about as AI, for example, resolution sharpening and all the systems that are running runtime 
being able to train them more efficiently and being able to have them more efficient are going to allow us to do a lot better graphics, for example, for the simple fact that we don't need to run full resolution. Instead, we can use machine learning to to improve it. And all of those systems are, are gaining a lot from the knowledge that is gained from these large-scale public generative AIs. Interesting. Yeah, I, uh, I uh, totally agree that at least for me at this point, uh, what really excites me about about AI is, is uh, its potential to allow us to scale up and do more with less. Uh, I will take uh, an example of uh, animations. Uh, for instance, instead of having to create uh, a lot of of animations, we could potentially just have a few key poses and that kind of uh, generate the missing things. Uh, I love seeing kind of what, what happens with with nerve, etc. You kind of give them some input and it kind of uh, hallucinates. Uh, and also, you know what 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 you can do with uh, with AI when it comes to to uh, to uh, testing. Uh, it's it's a great great way of of being you know. Getting a bigger coverage uh, of the game with with uh, much less people. Uh, so there there's, there are definitely a lot of uh, interesting use cases already uh, today. Uh, I guess what's what's really uh, kind of hard, at least for us, is is that we want to have this uh, kind of you know have full control of what we do uh, and of the, the the end result so uh, again we uh, we want our level de- uh, designers to have full control of of uh, of uh, uh, the layout and everything we want the arts to have full control of the visual results we want them you know the re- result to be something that really uh, stems and uh, originates and, uh, and resonates with our direction that we had created and not something that is a mix of what other people have created. So there's definitely things around there. So uh, I guess what, right, right now, um, I'm kind of battling a bit with myself, uh, what I really think, yeah, what I like and I don't like uh, around AI. Uh, on on one hand, I'm just blown away uh, with the potential, uh, and uh, especially, uh, especially when it comes to uh, to, you know, to VR games uh, that that we are doing because you all all of a sudden you have a body language and uh, you are in the game and having the world and NPCs and whatnot being able to actually react and interpret what you are doing with your body uh, it's super hard to code by by hand but doing classification and recognition and all of those things you're seeing uh, machine learning is super exciting because it, it you know that would open up a completely new type of gameplay and a different type of presence, uh, which is super crucial to uh, to uh, VR. And so I guess what I'm waiting for is, is kind of going from these public uh, solutions to being able to just, here is our data uh, that we want to train these models on uh, to kind of allow our uh, game developers to be more Detected. Uh, maybe one of you that are listening will say, "Well, actually, you can." <laughs> well, so we would love to hear uh, about those. I, I know there are companies working on on exactly that, and I completely agree. I think that that is one of the the main problems with AI right now is that a lot of it is public AI. It's trained on 
data that you don't own the copyright to, it will leak data to other customers if you feed it data. And I think we need to get to a point where, as you say, we can have our private data sets and it can generate them in a way where we know that we own the copyright. I mean, I've even seen like Valve were saying now that they were going to ban games with generated art on Steam unless they could prove that they own the copyright to all the source data. So it, it's not that hypothetical. It's it's a very, very real problem with all of these AI models right now. Yeah. And on top of that, just to um, close off the loop there, I would say that one of the issues that I've been dealing with is that all of it, or most of these like models do require access to the internet, just like most of this like chat GPT-4 and so on. Like you don't even need GPT-4 models in the first place. Those are way too big, way too powerful. You do need more specialized data models and data sets trained or pre-trained and like similar to like rendering a cinematic right offline. We have to be able to embed somehow on the devices, for example, on like uh, PS5, if you're going to release on PS5 or using the hardware um, accelerator chips from Apple, if you release on iOS. So until we see that big move moving from like online to offline, then I'll become even more like confident using um, all of those models for different use cases in gameplay specifically so that players can use. Otherwise, of course, we can we can use those to improve um, the workflows for our teams continuously, but we have to be A, aware of the copyright issues and all those infringements and uh, leaking data and everything else that might hurt. And also being aware that we have teams across different countries, status and they all have different regulations. So that's a whole different set of problems that uh, we've tried to deal with in a specific way. And I, I think uh, an interesting thing you mentioned, Christopher, was animation. Because I think there's an interesting parallel there where, I mean, already 15 years ago, people were using motion matching or were starting to look into it and starting to use it. And there was a lot of talk from the animators if, if they were going to be out of a job, uh, what happens with artistic quality and so on. And now, 15 years later, we still have just as many animators as we did back then. Um, so I think it is it, it is easy to, to run away with these kinds of technologies. But then when you get down to practical and gritty things, you realize that they, they aren't quite where you need them to be yet. And it might be quite a long time until they are. Absolutely. And I think... Uh... Over time, you also need to have a little bit of a different uh, kind of skin set uh, because operating uh, AI and doing something manually, you know, it is two different things. So there will be a transition over time as well uh, as the technology becomes available and it becomes kind of more standardized and then you can learn how to use it and it becomes a new uh, profession. Uh, but that's definitely going to uh, take some time before that uh, that happens. Um, but then I have a question. Do you think that's going to be a separate profession? Is, is there going to be people <laughs> dedicated to just like, I mean, there are already people selling AI prompts for, for more money than what's reasonable, I would say. But but maybe that is like a job in the future. I, I actually think so. I mean, just looking, you know, if you want to create your own training set, you need to have your own validation set. There's so much things you need to do. You need to know what kind of data. I mean it's 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 state computer stuff like if you if you put in garbage, then you're gonna get garbage out. You know, that that's that's classic. So 
uh, we will definitely see you know a rise of a lot of services, a lot of you know promises that you know AI will will solve everything for you. Uh, but it is going to be those that really knows how to create good models, how to create good trading data, and how to kind of utilize uh, those. So I, I, even though it has been uh, you know an explosive uh, evolution in a really short time, I think now it will still take uh, a bit of time before we have something that is uh, usable to uh, you know the mainstream of game developers. There's definitely going to be uh, you know, a bunch of game developers already now making you know, super cool use uh, of AI. You know, those that can afford to hire all the super skilled uh, engineers you need uh, or have the know-how of integrating them. But uh, I guess game menus such as Unity and Unreal, uh, we, kind of, we probably be the gateway in a lot of people. So until it is a commodity in those type of techs, uh, I think we won't see too many embracing uh, AI in the very short term uh, when it comes to actually how it impacts how we create and kind of build 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 games. Uh, unfortunately, but then there, as I said, there's so many opportunities. And you know, what is AI? Uh, just kind of starting with that. <laughs> Classification. Uh, it's uh, it's machine learning. It's, it's still uh, you, depending on who who you talk to, you will get a different answer. Uh, so it, it's like with everything, it's it's super popular and super hyped right now. But what do we actually mean with AI and what we mean with machine learning? Yeah, it's a. Uh... It's it's always interesting to to where you draw that distinction, but at the same time, do do we need to draw that distinction? Is it maybe not enough to just look at the results and see what are giving us the results that we actually need and can use, and and what doesn't? Because we've had, I mean, we've also had a lot of discussions internally about, for example, where where is the actual computational level or comprehensive level of of the AIs? I mean, if you're being very crude about it, it's just very very deeply layered neural nets with some Markov chain processing, but that's putting a very simplified facade to it. So yeah, I think it's it's so hard. Even the people who are working with it have trouble understanding what the nets are actually doing. So so maybe it, it is easier to just look at what are you getting out of it. Yeah, I don't agree. I mean, that, that's kind of what we all Agreed on that. You know, right now the the unpredictability is 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 one factor in in making this hard to uh, embrace, depending on your door uh, use case. Yeah, I think another thing is also it's about like where at in the stage of your game development and like how big is your team and how you can explore all of those things because you know, like if you already have the core pillars of your game, you kind of like start on exactly okay. Do these like AI technologies that we have right now, can they help us, you know, move into that direction? Or we're going to spend so much time, like months and months, just trying to implement our own models, try to like wait for the tech companies to advance their technology so that we can just, you know, follow them or like all of those things. We have to do like trade-offs. And because 
you know, uh, what you said to Christoph uh, back then is like, sure, you do need special teams to build those models like machine learning engineers, but then how about like game developers themselves? You know, how are they going to use those models and what sort of skill sets do they need to learn to, well, actually do their job then put into the final game? Because, you know, we can talk on paper for like, you know, months and months, but to actually have a polished final game across, you know, multiple uh, teams that will take, you know, months and months or years to, to build, that's hard. It's hard to even like, you know, talk about it. And usually right now, AIs do rely a lot on the prompts and like the instructions that you give all the time. But if you don't have that very well laid out, then you're going to find that randomness for months. So that's why I'm trying to understand exactly what sort of like skill sets do the next generation of game developers have to really be aware about to develop from now on with all of these like AI technologies so that they can build and they can use them in their workflows in a practical way. Mm. Now, I think for me, uh, the textual input barriers that we see now probably those that, I mean, we, we, we do, do use that. I think the ones that really excites me uh, is what you were uh, talking about before, you know, the kind of models that runs on device uh, inside of the games and help us do things that are either I'm not going to say impossible because nothing is, but super hard to do by hand, and where machine learning, that with classification and 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 prediction can can solve things for us in a predictable and repeatable uh, manner. And uh, so the, those things are, are, I guess, for me, at least in the very short term, uh, the ones that I am most excited about. But what you're referring there, you're only talking about the creation of a game, of a scenario in a game and so on. But I think one of the things is that usually what I find to say that even when you do create all of those, like uh, say uh, you, you program a game system, for example, sure, probably 30 or 40% of your time is spent actually programming it, but the rest of it, it's either like debugging it, making sure that all the edge cases are, are done properly. And especially when you work with bigger teams and how you incorporate all of that and you kind of like teach the new people about this. I think that's where I find it most fascinating, especially for like the engineers and all the others. It's like understanding the reasoning of like, why did you take that route? You know, what were the alternatives considered? And AI can hopefully help you there and explain to others and teach the others as you go and as you build on that so that they can, um, yeah, get fast up to speed much much faster faster than before oh Aaron no amazing some really really amazing takes uh on Christopher's question there um so yeah any listeners at home um yeah I hope you've took all that in um because that was just it was yeah, brilliant. So I think what we'll do is just move on to Anders uh, and your question, which which you've got for us, um, which will tie over nicely. Um, could you just deliver your question or subtopic which you've got um, on this topic? And again, just give us some context on on what made you choose that question as well. So continuing on, on, on what Cosmin was talking about, how people are using it, I think the the major problem we have right now or at least i have right now is 
I have a lot of people who are like, we want to use AI, we want to use AI, we want to, uh, to create images, we want to write texts with it, and so on. But it is uh, legally uh, an absolute minefield. So right now I have to be very, very boring and say no to most things. And uh, I'm interested if you have seen any creative solutions, if you've seen any, like, I know there are companies working on solutions, but I don't want to break any NDAs, so I'm not going to say who. Um, but I think that's that's the major problem is we have all this exciting tech uh, right now that we can't really use because it's just legally not feasible. So what are your thoughts on that? Are you seeing a way forward? We were talking about layering our own data on top of, of the public sets. Is, is that the way or is there a better way to progress? That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, it's true that right now what we're doing, we're very, very closely following all the advice like from like Valve, from Steam, like all these big players in the game that they have all the platform policies. And from my stance, you know, especially when I talk to the creatives in my in my company that they want to use all the tools possible, I only try to limit it to a very specific group of people. Um, so that they can like use it in a sort of way, like an inspiration or like, let's say like a playground to test their, uh, let's say imagination, I guess, or like, you know, use them as a sparring partner pretty much and see what sort of other alternatives they can come up with. But from that specific stage, all the way to use it in an actual game that we're going to list, it's a long way off and. Right now, we're waiting for all the other people, even our partners that are actually using this and developing specific um, models based on their own data sets where we can use them in the future. But right now, we're you know waiting. We're in the waiting stance, carefully following. Um, and there's what you said with the, the platform holders, with the copyright infringement. But I, I do see progress in the sense that OpenAI, for example, has... Um, Created this agreement with the guys from that offers like stock images. Had completely forgot their um, um, shelter stock, maybe. Yeah, exactly. For the next like six years, and they're planning to use AI to train on those images, which are copyright free, right? So there is already big, big advancements in that field. So hopefully, in the next couple of years, and again, it also depends on the stage of where we're at in production, because if it's not going to be any good use for you if you just have one game in development and you can't use it for the next one. So right now we're hoping that we can leverage it for the next prototypes, the next like um, big games that we're developing. And from there we'll see, but yeah. Well, I guess it's, it's all about uh, various business models, right? But right now uh, the AI evolution has been driven by the AI companies themselves. And now, uh, now as they become more available and, and people want to use them but they like oh yeah, yeah we want but but we can't well at least not legally uh then then uh i'm sure we will see uh just that we see the companies selling textures and models and and, and whatnot we will see uh companies creating data sets that uh, that uh, the models are being trained at a particular and i use uh within Within your games, uh, without uh, breaking any any agreement, uh, so I think that's just a natural uh, kind of evolution of that. That you know, it goes from being this 
And you look at all, all this awesome tech that enables you to do all kinds of crazy stuff until someone actually managed to not only package it as something that can be used uh, by developers, but also actually shipped uh, in in uh, actual games. So, uh, so I guess that's also an opportunity uh, instead of having something that is trained on all kinds of things uh, to have you know more specialized. Uh, models, more specialized data sets uh, that use depending on the type of, of game that you are are building. Uh, I mean, just as as we you see from uh, any type of of asset really. Uh, but I guess uh, again, coming back to to uh, to uh, what we talked about previously, like when you can actually in a pretty easy way insert your own kind of style and model uh, into this and get you know help with creating assets that looks like if you have done them yourself because that's the real that's the real uh, cannot hinder yeah I think that that would be a big step forward yes absolutely I, I think for me is really the takeaway is that they have to be specific um model specific new assets for specific like use cases you know if it's about like animation there will be complete like new companies that just focuses on that uh, let's say that assume that you have companies like unity that come up, comes out with their own ai specifically for the game engine you know giving you all the answers that you can you can't find online very easily hopefully they can do that right so we'll have these like teams that have built like game engines like on like epic games and so on building their own things for um, their own engines. And hopefully we can leverage those um, for our game development purposes as well. I don't really believe that there will be a solution with generative AI as a whole. I think we're way far away from anything like that. And nor can we leverage that. It's way too expensive, you know, for like years and years to build something or to use it in game. It's like probably way too expensive. and. Maybe it works very well in MMORPGs that can afford all of that, but coming up to the same thing, hardware limitations and so on, that's going to be the big question. And that's what I'm mostly excited about, you know, in the future, in the next couple of years. Um, oh, and last on the same thing, even like Roblox at, at GDC, they're making huge advancements. They're building their own models, their own data sets, specifically for like... Uh, coding in Roblox, you know, generating like materials, generating models, generating all of that. And they also said that they believe that they will complete something like this in the next like two to three years minimum. So I'm looking forward to that and see if it still holds true. Um, but yeah. I have a follow-up question in that case. Um, say we solve the, the problem with legality. There is a social aspect of it as well. There were two cases lately, one with the Dungeons and Dragons source book, where one of the artists had used AI to enhance uh, the art. And there was another, for example, there was a fan movie, which was like a Scooby-Doo crossover, small animated thing. And uh, the, the creator, who was a pure indie, had used AI voices. And both of these caused an uproar uh, in the community. I mean, it wasn't legally... Um, a problem but the community was very very upset do you think that's something that's gonna stick around or do you think people are gonna get more used and accepting to, to people using these kinds of things I think in, in these cases there were two different arguments for the art people thought it was a bit lazy 
and for the voices they were the main argument i think was that this is work that should go to the voice artists and the voice actors that, that deserve to have this work i mean yeah. i i do no. go, go. Ah, okay so I, I do want to say that to your point people will get used to it there's no way around it i mean eventually they will get used to it. That's part of the problem. Let's say 20% will be okay. I'm used to it. Now I know and so on. And, and the hype goes on. Um, but I believe then that there is the other side of the coin where there are like super fans and people that really, really believe or like follow you for so long and like your story. And like, for example, let's say there's like a new Harry Potter series coming out, for example, and what if they all use AI for like voiceover for actors? Like that, that would be really heartbreaking for all the people that are following you. And it's just what it is. I think us as humans, you know, we want to really experience that empathy and the, the way that like building the trust with the characters that we loved for so long, right? If, we, for example, for like uh, sequels in games. And so we know about these characters for like so long. If now we use like a cheaper version just for the sake of putting it out there much faster and we do sacrifice the quality and there are also all of these like, um, yeah, things involved in there, then we're going to lose a lot of trust. And I think that's one of the things that I see um, even in the examples that you gave. So that that's for me one of the most important things. Thank you, Kate. Yeah. You, uh, you definitely touched on, on something and that is, that is quality. So uh when when you use ai to generate something and it is as good as if it was you know made by by humans then 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 problem that then people won't notice that it's actually generated uh and i think we we, we would definitely uh go down that route uh just because everything is driven by economy it's not about just making things cheaper right uh players also expect bigger games you know a higher production values they expect more but they don't want to pay more for the games uh so uh, this is also a way for us to actually meet the demands of our uh, customers to you know create something uh bigger uh but for less resources uh clearly kind of placing them uh but will it will it mean that that there would be a change of of how people work and and uh, kind of uh, roles etc uh, absolutely uh, i mean all of a sudden you will be kind of you know selling your voice as as training uh data instead of speaking the actual lines uh and um, you know as an actor and kind of i guess selling your looks and then they're going to be an, an ai actor uh, performing maybe I don't know, uh, but I definitely believe that it will it will change over time. It will get socially acceptable uh, just because, I mean, we're already using AI so much without knowing, uh, and, 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 and and it's fine. It's We're really just objecting to things where it's not as good. You know, so you actually notice that it's 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 not humans uh, on the end. So give it time. Uh, and and I don't think it will be a social issue. Fair enough. Amazing. Uh, literally fantastic uh, question on that. I mean, and there's the examples you gave of 
AI being used for a, a Scooby-Doo sort of uh, animation there, and and the obviously the not just the legal issues around it is it socially acceptable. I mean, it's I think it's it's crazy because it'd be there's two sides to to it. Like there's the the good side in terms of um, I mean, just the other day I heard of an AI voice um, from Michael Jackson and Tupac uh, in a post. Uh, humorous way and it was amazing because you heard their voices and when was the last time you heard them sing or rap and in that essence it's it's brilliant and it's amazing because you can hear it but then there's the other side of like Christoph said an actor almost selling his soul and and his voice for AI and then that's it you're just using it for all these other bits I think it's yeah amazing question amazing takeaways on that um I mean yeah I mean to, to kick us off um on, on the next question then Cosmin um if you just want to you know scale started on on your question and then just give us some context behind that oh right I mean I think my question was has been covered since we talked, you know, over and over again, which was the first one was that I believe, I strongly believe that the usage of AI starting from now, from what we can use this year to most like next year and so on, can really be used or we can get the most ROI on improving like ourselves, like the the talents and the skills that our people have. And like, for example, like um, getting genius engineers to like help them grow and creating roadmaps for them that are really unique that are really tailored that otherwise would have been much harder for us as leads or like our leads to develop it for them so on that side i think that's what i want to see the most impact i'm not sure if you guys specifically had any uh, experience with that so far how do you already integrated it with your teams or whether you're like leads have already used it or they have already like helped people uh yeah by using ai i think right right now we are still at the stage that there are some uh, some very passionate people who are using it but it's on a very individual level so they are pushing for it they are pushing for it within their teams um but it's not in an organized manner so th that is definitely something I think we need to figure out, uh, as you say, how how do we integrate it with how we work? How do we integrate it with the teams? Um, where where should it be coming from? And I, I maybe it, it, this is just us and and uh, at least people I've talked to in most studios, it seems to be more of a grassroots thing. It's coming from from the actual production teams that are actually doing work more than a a overall strategy. Because it's it's it is very hard to know how you deploy it in an in an organized manner right now. Yeah, I mean uh, we are doing basically the same. Like instead of googling uh, for solutions to code problems, like open up Chat GPT and you will get you know some example of code that could give you an idea of how to solve it. So that that's kind of the 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 general uh, direction that we that we have is that use it for inspiration, use it for kind of helping you get started, but it's not you know copy paste, put it in the game kind of thing. Uh, but going forward, what we are talking about, you know, what we would like to see AI being used for. I mean, there's there's uh, another stuff uh, you mentioned co-pilot before, but 
just having you know AI kind of help with uh, you know bug chasing, actually finding those super hairy repro cases where you spend hours and hours and hours trying to figure out was it because I you know pulled this lever as well when I was scraping that or not? Having you know machinery you know do a lot of the boring stuff that we can focus more on the on the fun stuff on the creative thing. Uh, you know, which is why we are in this industry to you kind know, of you know, create uh, something. I I don't think there's anyone that really really enjoys sitting, you know, stepping and debugging. I mean, of course, there are people doing that, but say they really want to solve 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 problems. They really want to be creative. They really want to kind of get uh, their thought they had in their hands out to to uh, to uh, the players. So I think. That's an area where, where I'm really looking forward to uh, the, the evolution of AI when, when it becomes part of, again, coming, you know, a natural part of my tool set so that uh, it, it, it can help me find and fix uh, things that are just boring and tedious. Uh, but as with everything, you know, it's, it's, it might turn out into super nasty, uh, you know, that resting also complete and not really reflecting on what we're doing, right? So, uh, yeah, just there's pros and cons with, uh, with everything. When, when do you think it's going to reach that stage? Because I feel that the major problem with that kind of code analysis right now is that the AI simply doesn't have enough context to find the actually hairy bugs. Yes, it's great that maybe finding issues in like a one page, uh, one page of code, but when it's a very complex system, it needs to be online and run things to to be able to get there, or it, it simply can't handle that amount of context right now. Yeah, that that is kind of coming 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 back to to my uh, my my thought earlier that you know again creating creating those uh, data sets and test sets and, and, and how how creating models that that works. With your code as well, uh, that cannot follow the code standard that w- that we have. Uh, so, just your your question. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. So uh, on that question, though, one of some of the workarounds that I did find to it as of like 2023 is that instead of trying to leverage AI and using that, I rather try to onboard people much faster with the help of AI. So, for example. I try to leverage AI for them so that they can better understand the context that the code, the ng-loop runs in, right? So that when they have a bug or they have a crash in that area, they can understand that specific context much better. And that's where I've seen the most, let's say, improvements in my team and especially people that were onboarding and getting them up to speed much faster. So giving them a sort of like the, um, the source code for our code and having the AI to like understand exactly, okay, here's what, let's say, 20% of the most important thing happen. Let's start there and really understand like the code path and what's going on. Because it's one thing to find a code in one function, but it's also like when it comes to an entire like system and especially like a multi-trading system, like multi-trading system, uh, debugging a multi-trading issue can take you days, whereas a bug, well, it's much, much faster to identify that. So having that kind of context, it's really not possible right now and probably won't be possible in the next years, unless there will be somebody 
from the game development industry that develops that because so far the game development industry for the last two decades has always followed the tech industry right the big companies like facebook and so on like getting into the cloud and so like we don't even have like um our games run to run in the cloud like traditionally we don't still we're not doing that we're still like decades behind doing that properly and using streaming for everything i think we're still behind all of that and there are still games released on, on the hardware that we have currently and we're limited by that and those big data sets. And another use case where we found it most useful is for like game design documentation and the general like um, guidelines that we create. We use, we let's say we store them in Confluence and we try to export all of them in PDFs and then we use AIs to ask questions based on those PDFs so that they get um, like design gets up to speed engineers, for example, like as an engineer, or as a, as a lead, I don't really know all the details of a feature, right? So when an engineer asks me, okay, how am I going to go about this? Which direction do I go? Well, for me, I either have to pull out my notes or I pull out the um, game design document and like I start asking questions there. And that's also useful when you work uh, with such a large team as us, which are like just like 30 people full-time and another like 30 or so like freelancers from like West Coast to Japan. You're not going to have all the people online who, to have all the key stakeholders online to ask those questions. So you have to use AI to like, improve that synchronous communication. And that's where I found the most um, yeah, usage of to be the best, yeah. I, I, I agree. I think it's, it's, it's good to hear that it's working well because that's kind of where we are looking at right now to, to that will be the first more organized usages of, of AI. Uh, so it's good to hear that it works. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, because that, that was the most um, like we had the senior engineer right now has moved from like West Coast to Japan and having game designers from West Coast to like speak with him. It's so sometimes extremely hard, but getting AI and getting all of those things is like it helps a lot with asynchronous communication. And uh, it also helps us better communicate our thoughts and not have as many conflicts, right? Because conflicts do come from like, you know, poor communication. And so yeah, that's usually what's where it helps. Cool. But have you used it to actually uh, generate documentation as well? Or is it just about the account search tool? Um, it's more about like a search tool, right? It's more about um, like crossing ideas and like trying to understand the context. That, that's pretty much it. Generating ideas within our context would be extremely hard. You know, the reason why that is is because even ourselves, we don't know what we're going to do next. So, we'll, you know, that's the one of the biggest problems. Is like, okay, what can we do next? Especially at this stage of production, where at you know, where the game has been developed for like four years and we're releasing next team. So there are limited things, and uh, that's why it's hard. But other than that, what we do use it for, or our game designers, is to sometimes brainstorm some quick ideas. Saying okay, uh, the player experience. It well, they spend hours and hours to try to build the context in the AI. For example, ChatGPT to say okay, here's the current player experience and how the player feels and all the edge cases. What can we do? How can we unblock the player or like how can we solve this specific thing? Maybe that works, but other than that, would be very very limited, just because it can't get doesn't have enough tokens. Let's put it this way. Fantastic. 
Amazing. No, fantastic. Um, thank you for the for the question, Cosmin. Brilliant, brilliant takeaways uh, from there as well. Um, yeah, uh, with AI, uh, I mean, I think for me, when do we have to start getting worried about it taking over the world, especially games? Is that, is that what's going to happen? Is that where we're at right now? Um, <laughs> but who knows? No, I think it's just, it's, it's okay for the time being. Uh, Anders, uh, I know that you might have another question um to sort of see us off um you know is have you got one ready for us to sort of end on a on a high note <laughs> on a high note you're setting oh, the bar yeah i just brought the tone way down saying ai is going to take over the world so please save save the podcast no <laughs> uh, so, uh, on the on the ai taking over the world point i think once once we hit the point where we have Wrong general AI, then it's gonna be over so quickly. We don't even know what hit us, so no need to worry about that. Uh, I, I do have one final question, which is: Are you guys mostly relying on uh, external systems or systems from from partners, or are you developing any internal AI systems? So, uh, from our stance right now, everything that we do currently and the next year would be to leverage external partners or third parties. That's pretty much it. But based on the progress for the next game specifically, when we actually want to add more lifelike interactions in the game where uh, like NPCs are actually going to interact properly, I'm not talking about dialogue here, but I'm talking about actions and like being triggered and create specific actions like following the player and you know do what the player does type of actions then we're going to build on top, like build some of the efforts like on top of the foundation pretty much, because otherwise it would be way too much folks away right now at the current size um, to to build our own in-house team of AI developers. That's pretty much our stance. So Gras, uh, for the time being, uh, we're definitely going to be relying on uh, external systems and authors. Uh, we definitely have it in, in our kind of mental roadmap of something that we want to be really good at, but we can only do so much at the same time. And and, and right now, our approach, I mean, we are using, uh, we, we do have a big focus on improving and changing the way we create games and how we can automate uh, kind of our game creation uh pipeline uh but we are going down more of an you know automated procedural or procedural automation uh route rather than you know uh, um, an ai route because right now we are more what we want to solve with now again uh making sure that level designers you know they can own uh the layout of the level bit and we want our artists to own the visual results of that so we want to create tools that you know, pleases both ends and right now with uh, the state of ai and not being uh, a small company so we don't have the deep expertise that they be super clear about that uh we don't think that we can do something that you know big d to the high level of the quality that we want it to be uh, there's too unpredictability for us because we don't we don't know how we could uh, leverage AI in the sense that we will get exactly the result that we want. Uh, so we are 
for now, uh, learning and growing and focusing on studio uh, automation in favor of uh, fantastic AI just hallucinating stuff for us. <laughs> I think we have a very similar approach. I mean, we are mostly relying on external third-party systems right now, but then we are also spoiled by having the the giant Tencent family of game studios to to cooperate with. So there is a lot of talk internally about what what are things that all of the studios are interested in and and want to share. So I'm I'm hoping there will be some interesting stuff coming up. Yep. Awesome. I do have a, a question in terms of just going away from well sticking in the games industry um but more in it in terms of of recruitment obviously if we're using all these ai tools do you think it's something that we're going to see in the future in terms of finding talented individuals um and then i might play devil's advocate after a few questions as well but i mean what are your thoughts do you think that in the future it's something that we're going to see um to, to match up with with skill sets uh personality fits etc think we are already doing that and i think it's fairly scary because not only will you miss the the kind of like outliers that are maybe are interesting for for reasons that aren't a perfect match to, to your specifications um, but you're also bringing a lot of biases with you like whatever you train those recruitment systems on they're going to take whatever biases was in the training data and they're going to bring them to the results so I'm sure it can be a very, very